This is a presentation of Dawn Forge Productions. It's time for Shattered Soulstone. Featuring the latest news from Sanctuary and beyond. Each episode, a heroic party of Nephilim band together to help keep you informed on everything in the Diablo universe. And now, your Diablo Community Podcast. to you from the dark recesses of the proverbial Dawn Forge pouch. This is episode 284 of The Shattered Soulstone, Max Roll. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download at bit.ly/soulstonebooks2020. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPod, tablet, or phone. It is November 28, 2020, really early in the morning again, and this is Jen. So I'm going to start with my week in gaming, like I do. I did start the season, not the night of when it launched, or did I? Maybe I... mm, might have been the morning after, like really early in the morning, which is when I tend to play video games and record stuff. So uh, here's a little bit about what I did. I started with a new seasonal character. I'm playing softcore this season. Of course I'm playing a barbarian again because I love it. It's my favorite class. And I'm choosing to play softcore instead of hardcore this season for season 22 because I thought it might help me move through the season journey quicker than if I play hardcore. Because if I play hardcore, I'm, I'm finding myself being very focused on making the best decision based on where I think my character is at. Like, can he do T3 right now? Maybe, maybe not. But I don't want to risk it and lose the character and have to start over, especially since being that conscious about decision-making really slows me down. So I figured if I played softcore, I could just blow through it, and if I died, I'll get back up. It's fine. There's like going to be a repair cost, possibly unless you get the shoulders that knock that out. But um, in any case, that's what I started doing. So my new barbarian is female. I played a male barbarian last season. I switch off a little bit just for fun. And I usually record, I almost always record videos of what I'm doing in gameplay. They are released as their own podcast on bookofgen.net and eventually they'll all get to YouTube. I'm still putting up season 21 as I record this now. Okay, so the first thing I did was made a softcore barbarian, and then I did the challenge rift. Now, I usually, I look to see, okay, who has sort of done the challenge rift a little bit and could tell me how to do it so I won't completely fail. This time I didn't. I just went, okay, I'm going to go do the challenge rift, whatever it is, we'll see. Turned out to be a barbarian one, and that was absolutely awesome, because that's my class. So I thought, okay, this is going to be good. This is going to be really good. So for those of you that didn't do the challenge rift, it was challenge rift 178. It was a barbarian wearing the Wrath of the Waste set and the Bokathos Oath weapons, 
Krem's buff bulwark set, which is the bracer that prevents knock knockback. I think I've been saying it's the belt that does that, but no, it's the bracer. And the this barbarian had the enchantress as a follower, and so in the challenge rift she was turning things into chickens because she had that hex thing set, which is really fun. So to complete this challenge rift, you had to finish it in less time than the original player that ran it, that this whole build was from. And you had to do it under 6 minutes, 45 seconds, and 816, what is that, fractions of a second. And it was a greater with 42. So I went and tried this, and I kind of figured out right away, all right, this is going to work pretty well, because I knew the spells and I, you know, the skills, I guess, and um, how to use that set and these kinds of things. So just started running through it. The first pylon I hit was the first time I'd had a Shadow Clone spawn, because as I've said in previous episodes, I never could get into the PTR to try those out. So now I got to try one out, and it was great. It does last for about a minute unless you die. I didn't die the whole rift, so it was there for the whole minute. And it was pretty cool. It, I think it looks a lot like the animation if you're fighting the Shadow Diablo when you go to kill off Diablo. That part of the game, I think they pulled it from that, and it just followed along my character or ran a bit ahead and killed stuff for me. It was great. Absolutely wonderful. So far, I'm enjoying those. Towards the end of the challenge rift, I got a conduit pylon, which is my favorite because you get to zap everything with lightning and blow away all these little monsters as you go. And I got a shadow clone again. Only one. I think there were two, maybe, in the PTR, but it's one for season 22, and that's fine. It's working for me just fine right now. We'll see what happens as I get higher up in rifts and stuff like that. So I finished the challenge rift at 5 minutes 27 seconds and 333 three, three fractions of a second, I guess. And honestly, it was the most fun I've ever had in a challenge rift. It was great. It was a wonderful way to start season 22, and I was like laughing the whole time. It was so much fun to do. And of course, if you do the challenge rift before you start your seasonal journey stuff and start working on that, or even a little bit after, if it's still, if the challenge rift is still up, you can still do it. But you get all that stuff, you get a bunch of gold and crafting materials and death's breaths and all these things, and it's it's a good idea to do if you can. I have found that some of the challenge trips I've tried I can do, and some of them I just can't finish, can't do it for whatever reason. So it was it was fun. It felt like a really positive way to start season 22. So once I got out of the challenge rift and opened the cache, I did something I don't typically do when I start a season, and maybe I should have been doing. I used some of the gold to buy some armor from Squirt the Peddler in Act 2, the little girl that sells stuff and either yells, hey mister or hey lady at you <laughs> to get your attention to buy some stuff from her. And so that's what I did. I bought some armor and a shield and a little axe and went into a Nephilim Rift, which you need to do for part of the season journey, as all of you probably know. Normal difficulty, because I just started, despite, you know, just being very overpowered in the challenge rift, I was now at level one with sparse armor and until I bought some and, you know, just no leveling at all and no, obviously no paragon. So I went into the Nephilim Rift on normal difficulty and I was hoping to find armor and weapons as I go. I did find some. There's nothing that was super exciting, stuff that was just effective, but the cool thing was for me that I do feel that buying just a, a tiny little upgrade in armor from what you start with actually made a difference. It was the difference between sort of kiting monsters around if I wasn't big enough to really kill them off quickly to being able to one-shot them, I think, some of them, by the end of the Nephilim Rift. 
and I ended that at level 5, which was a pretty good start for me. So after that, I decided to go ahead and kill, I think it's Cydia. It's one of the spider ladies. It's the one that looks a lot more like a giant spider and less like a humanoid spider kind of thing. That one. And the Skeleton King. They were both part of Season 22, Chapter 1, Objectives. And I thought it was interesting because my perception of this, which could be wrong, is that typically if you're doing Chapter 1, you get to fight two bosses that are in Act 1. And so on and so on. Chapter 2, Chapter 3, Chapter 4. This one is not so. It wasn't that way. The Skeleton King, of course, is found in Act 1, but uh, Cydia, however you say this, isn't. She's in Act 3, which I thought was a little weird. Now, maybe I just haven't been paying attention, but it was kind of confusing for a moment to go, wait a minute, those two aren't in the same act. Maybe that's new for you. Maybe that's been there the whole time, I don't know, but that was my perception going in. Now, I just almost hit level 6 from that Nephilim Rift, but I was just a tiny bit off, so the first thing I did was fight my way to the Skeleton King, and the first skeleton I hit on a one-shot was like, ding, you're level 6, cool. So I did that, and killed the Skeleton King pretty quickly. It wasn't the fastest fight, but, you know, I was just hitting level 6, and it was on, you know, normal difficulty, as you do at that point. And it went well. I haven't actually died yet. I know you can't really permanently die on softcore, but I haven't died yet at all thus far. And when I got done, it turned out this was a bounty. So I had, like, the big chest sitting there to open with all the loot and the gold and that sort of thing. And I thought, well, that's really lucky. That's one of, one of those bounties done, because you have to do five bounties for an objective in Act 1, or Chapter 1 of whatever season you're doing. So that was one done, and I thought, that's cool, that's lucky, I, I don't have to worry so much about maybe trying to do an entire set of bounties. This was just quick and easy. This was like an added bonus, because I was going to kill the Skeleton King anyway, and he just happened to have a chest there for me when I was done. So after that, I went off to fight uh, Cydia. I am never going to pronounce this correctly, I don't know. And that was actually pretty fun. The part that was the most fun was I found a Blood Thief Goblin in there, and blood shards are so important, especially when you're very low level and you need better gear. And so I chased it all the way through a bunch of mobs that didn't seem to be touching me at all as I was leveling up. I don't remember what level I was exactly then. It might have been... it was either six or seven. And chased it and killed it as it dropped blood shards everywhere. Then I tried to pick them up, and that didn't work out so well. It wasn't because the monsters were in the way, because I did go back and sort of clear that area before I tried picking them up, but it was a matter of running over them and watching them bounce and hit the ground and the little thing coming up saying you can't pick all of those up or whatever it was. And I was like, okay, well, I have to move forward to get to the spider lady, I'm going to say, and I don't want to leave all these here. So I went back to town and I gambled some of the blood shards that I had with Kadala, because that's the only thing you can do with blood shards anyway. My hope was I'd spend enough where I could pick up the rest that were sitting in the Cydia area, I guess, the area with the spiders. And it worked. I mean, I was able to get some stuff from Kadala. Some of it was for 
a couple levels higher than my character actually was. But I did get an amulet that was the right level and something else I don't remember. And then there's like, I think a bunch of shoulders that my character will be able to grow big enough to wear fairly soon. So I did that, picked up the rest of the blood shards and killed Sidia pretty quickly. She didn't spawn too many things. Maybe she doesn't in normal difficulty, but she didn't really spawn a heck of a lot of extra little spiders or whatever. There was those little like cloud of little bugs, but it went quickly. And when I was done, it turned out that was a bounty as well. And I didn't check either one. So this was a surprise to get a chest on the Skeleton King and one on Sidia. And then I had two bounties done for that objective. So that was pretty fun. It was really fun. I will pick up from there when I start playing. Now, all of the videos that I just talked about, they are up on bookofgen.net, and you can find them under where I have the Diablo videos. There will be a link in the show notes on shatteredsoulstone.com. It'll have everything I talked about in it, so you'll be able to find whatever you'd care to find out of stuff I talk about. So that's been what I've been doing in Diablo since last show. I guess it's been a week, so I guess it was my week in gaming. So moving on, I like to include things from the Diablo community, meaning everyone who's created something new that has to do with the games. And there's been quite a few things. There is an Etsy page. It's called Project Night Terror. The person behind this they made a Diablo-inspired black soulstone, and they've got this glorious picture of it where it is sitting on an open book of... I'm not sure if that's Book of Tyrael, maybe? It might be Book of Adria. I can't see the outside of the book, but it's sitting on it, so it looks like the black soulstone, which is black. They've made it black, and it glows red on the inside. You can see it just sitting there like that, just glowing and creepy, like... You'd see it in the game, pretty much. And below it, of course, is this sort of brownish-colored, ink-washed art and text that really bring the whole piece together. I mean, the piece on its own is amazing, but to have it displayed that way, you just kind of go, wow, I want one of those. They're really neat. It's made out of, let's see, spray paint, clay, LED, paint, and resin. It's not huge, it's five inches in height, and I can't quite read the rest of that. It's really neat, and there's a couple of pictures of it. There's two types, one's got the LED and I think the other one doesn't, so one is shown that isn't glowing because it doesn't have the LED, and then there's a person holding in their hand the soul stone, and it, it looks like the right size for it. Like, it's not huge, it's not tiny, it seems to be like really perfectly sized. So if you're into that, you can check their Etsy. It's at Project Night Terror, and I think it costs $40. It says it's in stock at the time I'm recording this, and I just thought it was neat. The Diablo Twitter account on November 26th highlighted the artwork of Kelric. That's at Kelric DK. What the Diablo account wrote was, Today we're feeling thankful for our players, and there's a little black heart, because this is the Diablo account, of course. You can't have like a little pink one or a red one. I guess you could have a red one, but they have a black one there, a little emoji. And they wrote, To have such talented folks like at DK within our community is truly humbling. Your work is absolutely awe-inspiring. And what they have there is a gif of like a painting or a series of... It's either a series of paintings or it's a step-by-step, -step, and I'm not sure. 
but it's of King Leoric. And you can kind of see it getting built, so I'm going to guess maybe it was like a step-by-step -step sort of thing. Starts out, in the background when it's done, there's like something lurking, which I'm going to presume is Diablo, considering the lore we know about those characters. So you can check that out if you want to see it. Kelric does amazing art, and this was just one really cool piece that the Diablo account on Twitter highlighted. So you can check that out again. Everything will be in the show notes. As far as Diablo podcasts that have been released since last time I recorded a show, we do have episode 8 from Hearthstone to Hell. That's the one that Deadgreed and Shazam are doing. So episode 8 is about, let's see, it says Dead Greed, Shazam, and Dread Scythe talk about their experience leveling together at the start of season 2 of Diablo 3. So if you want to hear their week in gaming, or their few days in gaming, however long they did that, I'm sure you'll find all those details on episode 8 of Hearthstone to Hell. I don't think any other Diablo-focused podcasts have produced an episode since my last show, but Hearthstone to Hell did, so go check that out if you'd like to hear more people talk about what they did at the start of Season 22. In addition, there is a video from Leviathan that was released on November 23rd, a couple days after the season started, and it is a video titled Opening Night Solo Hardcore Demon Hunter Leveling 1-70, to and it's on YouTube. Leviathan wrote this. He said, Here's my highlight from the start of the season going from 1 to 70. I got lucky to get Lord Greenstone's fan and go for massacre bonus levels in the Temple of the Firstborn. I'm always impressed by what Leviathan can do with the Demon Hunter. I always have been. I pop in and watch his Twitch when I'm able, and it's always amazing. Then there's something else that's related, but not entirely related. That will make sense in a minute. So, if you've been following any of the news regarding Mac computers lately, you're probably aware that Apple has introduced a new MacBook Air, a 13-inch MacBook Pro, and a Mac Mini, and all three of these things are powered by the revolutionary M1 chip. It's the first in a family of chips designed by Apple specifically for the Mac. So the question I had when I heard this was, can I still play Diablo on a Mac that has an M1 chip? Because I've said this before, probably a number of places, but if you play on a Mac or use a Mac for work, uh, I do both of those things on a Mac, there's a limit to how many types of video games you can play because there's a ton of gaming companies that just don't care at all about making their game compatible with a Mac for whatever reason they may have, so my options are limited. Most of, but not all of, Blizzard's games do play on a Mac. I didn't want to lose what little access Mac users have to video games because of the M1 chip, especially not Diablo 3, and I'm gonna assume Diablo 4 might maybe play on the M1 chip as well. I don't know. Somebody tested out the how Diablo plays on a Mac with an M1 chip, so there's a video here on YouTube by someone named Tilla Lee, T-I-L-A-L-I, and they posted a video of Diablo 3 running with Streamlabs recording it on a MacBook Pro M1, and it plays beautifully. It's clear, there's no lag, the sound is keeping up with the actions on the screen. It was delightful to watch because it made me feel so much better about 
if I was going to be able to still play Diablo if I got a new computer. Because at some point, you have to get a new computer. Things change and all of that. Now I think it's going to be okay. It looks like Diablo 3 will play just fine. It looks like this person obviously recorded what they were doing. You can see some of their Streamlabs recording software before they started. It's at the front of the video and you can see them play. And it worked great and it looked so clean and so clear. And I think it's going to be good. I have no idea if any other Blizzard games are going to play on a MacBook Pro M1. But Diablo 3 did, so I've at least got that if I upgrade, which I might someday, who knows. Okay, some of the other stuff I'm going to talk about I learned about from one of Riker's videos, one he released on November 21st. He had a lot of good stuff in there, I'm not going to go over absolutely everything because it's a lot of stuff. But the thing I wanted to point out is a website called Max Roll. It is a totally Diablo-focused website, and it's got game guides, tier lists, meta stuff, resources, ranks, a D3 planner, all of these things written by a number of people, including some of the people that are involved in Danctuary, in that podcast, because that's got a rot rotating cast of really well-known, talented Diablo 3 players. And they know what they're doing, and so they're building guides and stuff like that. There's new content here since the last time I looked at it, which is impressive. And it just goes on and on and on, and you could find pretty much anything you would ever want to know about Diablo. There's guides for specific builds, for specific classes, there's just all this stuff. It's, it's kind of a lot. <laughs> it is a lot. It's impressive. It's an impressive amount of work for this. The most recent ones, as I'm looking at this right now, is a Masquerade Bone Spear Necromancer Guide written by Raxantarax. I really hope I'm pronouncing that right. There's a solo tier list by Maxroll. Let's see what that is real quick. Oh yeah, they made a list of all of the best tier sets. And it goes from S, best solo guild builds. And then it goes A, B, C, D, F. So it's the ones that they think were better to the ones that they didn't like as well. So it's like preferred to non to least preferred in that list. So if you're wondering what class should I do and you haven't started yet, or you have started and you're just not happy with how your character is playing, maybe take a look at that because there's a lot of options and descriptions there to, to look at and to figure out and all of this stuff. But there's a lot. There's a season, season start 1 to 70 leveling guide. I'm going to assume that most of the people listening to the sound of my voice in this recording have already started leveling and probably are farther than me, but if you haven't, there's a, there's a guide there to help you through that. There's an Akan Invoker Bombardment Crusader guide. There's a group experience meta. Oh, there's a lot in here. There's It's not just like, here's how to build a set. Some of these are, like, here's how to build a set, here's the best sets, here's how you get started in a season. That kind of stuff. Here's how to level effectively. This one is a lot more like really thinking about the game and how it all pieces together and that stuff. And there's a few things that they're talking about. So that's just a few of the things that are like right at the top of Max Roll. And it looks like they're going to be adding more as you go. Because I mean, this site is full and there's several different people whose names are attached to different articles in here. I think it's going to be really good. I'm pretty impressed with it. The site looks clean and sharp. 
it's got a dark background, but some of the pieces of the pictures you see for each article, some of those are kind of bright, and it uses a lot of Blizzard art in it, which makes sense. I think it's going to be good. I'm going to start looking at this whenever I'm confused or lost or questioning which build should I do? That kind of thing. I'll be looking at that, and you should too. And another thing that I found from Riker's video, which I'll, I'll push all of this in the show notes for you to check out later, because I know I'm going through a lot of stuff and it's hard to remember if you're like multitasking and listening to this and doing something else at the same time. So it'll be in the show notes. But there is an article on a website called mcvuk.com. And it says it has an exclusive. It's from a week ago as the, at the point that I'm recording this. It was a week ago that it was released. And it says, Further layoffs expected at Activision Blizzard. Now you might remember, when I talked about this on a previous episode, that Blizzard laid off a bunch of people in France that were working in customer service for Blizzard games, that kind of stuff. And I'm not exactly sure how that goes. I think there's some laws in France that have to do with you have to pay your workers this amount if you're laying them off for this number of weeks, you know, after you lay them off or something. And I'm not sure how that all went down, but they did lose their jobs. So the website that I'm talking about here with the exclusive further layoffs expected at Activision. Now, it was a week ago, so I don't know if those have happened yet or not. But basically, it looks like... Well, I'll just read you a paragraph. They talked to an Activision Blizzard spokesperson that is unnamed. And the spokesperson said, We've been exploring how we might best integrate our capabilities across the business and be efficient as we evolve to meet growth opportunities and stay competitive in Asia-Pacific. To that end, we have begun conversations with employees regarding a plan to centralize some roles across the region in our Sydney office. Decisions of this nature are never easy, and supporting our employees through this process is our number one priority. So there is, uh, the website here says that, I guess it's MCV Develop. I got it wrong when I said it first. It's MCV slash Develop. Also reported that the customer support and localization teams are not affected by these layoffs. And Activision Blizzard states the actual number of employees facing redundancy. Redundancy? They're getting fired. I hate this type of phrasing. Just call it what it is. But in any case, redundancy is closer to 30 and there are no APAC office closures announced, but that's still people losing their jobs. Now, if this was posted a week ago, that's in November, Christmas is coming up. It's kind of an icky time to lay off people, even if it's just a small amount. So, but that's, that's what they're doing. Another thing that was, that Riker mentioned on his video that I talked about, he's possibly done a more recent video since then. I'm not sure. It's possible. And this is about a study that was done. It's called Video Game Play is Positively Correlated with Well-Being, which is interesting because we've always heard things like, oh no, video games make you violent. They don't. Video games are going to ruin your health because you're playing too long and sitting. Well, a lot of people are sitting for a long time now because they're working from home. So, you know, whatever. But this is, it's a study. It has not been peer-reviewed, so take that for whatever it's worth. It's just been posted on something called, let's see, Sci-R-Zix Preprints? That's where it's it's published from? And there are three authors, I'm not sure exactly where they are from. 
But it, here's like the abstract, which is like the shortest little explanation of what the whole thing is about. They wrote this. People have never played more video games, and many stakeholders are worried that this activity might be bad for players. So far, research has not had adequate data to test whether these worries are justified and if policymakers should act to regulate the video game, to regulate video game playtime. We attempt to provide much-needed evidence with adequate data. Whereas previous research had to rely on self-reported play behavior, we collaborated with two games companies, Electronic Arts and Nintendo of America, to obtain players' actual play behavior. We surveyed players of Plants vs. Zombies Battle for Neighborville and Animal Crossing New Horizons for their well-being, motivations, and need satisfaction during play, and merged their responses with telemetry data, example, logged gameplay. Contrary to many fears that excessive game time will lead to addiction and poor mental health, we found a small positive relation between gameplay and well-being. Need satisfaction and motivations during play did not interact with game time, but were instead independently related to well-being. Our results advanced the field in two important ways. First, we show that collaborations with industry partners can be done to high academic standards in an ethical and transparent fashion. Second, we deliver much-needed evidence to policymakers on the link between play and mental health. There's a whole thing beyond that if you'd care to read it. I always take things that have not been peer-reviewed re with a little bit of skepticism because it's not been peer-reviewed. You need others to review your work, take a look at it, try the experiment themselves, trying to match what you've done with it and see if they get the same results or similar results. And then maybe have another group of peers do the same thing before you can really say, this is what it is. They are not necessarily saying here that they are right because of this one non-peer-reviewed thing. But they might be. So it could be something, but I'd be a little happier if it was peer-reviewed. I do like that they have noted from their results, again, not peer-reviewed, there is something about video games that is helping people to have better mental health. That's good. That's always a good thing. And I'm not sure, it doesn't say right in that first paragraph there exactly when they looked at data from players and tried to correlate that with whatever. Not entirely sure. If it was after the pandemic, let's see. I, I don't know, I'd have to read the whole thing and I'm not going to right now while I'm recording a show. I just kind of wanted the main idea, which I've got. But honestly, right now, I think more than ever video games are for the most part a positive experience because we're still in a pandemic. COVID-19 is still out there. We don't yet, at least in the United States, we do not have a vaccine that is accessible to a majority of people. It's probably, hopefully, maybe close. There might be, There's. I think there's a few companies that are trying to get theirs approved and we'll see how that goes. But right now, it's not the best idea to go visit your friends in person without social distancing and without masks and, you know, without washing your hands, I suppose, all the things that we're told to do to stay safe. But you can still play video games with them online from wherever you are from your home, and they can play it from their home and have just as much fun. Anyway, like, I've played video games with people online recently, and I've played Dungeons & Dragons with people online recently. 
you could do that too. There's a website called D&D Beyond that'll give you a lot of ways to do that. And I think one of the things... I've, I, I read way too much. I really do. I read way too much. One of the things I've seen when I've been looking at news regarding how people are experiencing isolation or lockdown or stay-at-home orders is they miss their friends and their loved ones and they're sad and they get anxious. But if you can at least hang out with your friends virtually, it seems to make people feel a bit better, feel less lonely and isolated. So it's nice that there is a study that seems to feel that video gameplay is positively correlated with well-being. I have no idea if they did this study during the COVID-19 pandemic or if it was before and just published now. Haven't looked into it that far. But it's just nice to see a study that says there are positive things about video game play as opposed to it's making people violent and all this other stuff that's been debunked. To end this off, on November 27, Leviathan did another video that is on YouTube now, and it's called Gears of Dreadlands Demon Hunter Greater Rift 129 Rank 2, which is really impressive. And what he wrote on Twitter about this was, here's that crazy GR 129 clear from last night. He continues with, one of the best spire floors I've seen in quite some time. So that's going to be a really entertaining video to check out, and I'll be looking at it a little bit closer. I just found it right before I started recording. And that's all I have right now. You have been listening to episode 284 of The Shattered Soulstone, your Diablo community podcast. Missed an episode? You can find the show blog and listen to the show archives at www.shatteredsoulstone.com. With your support, you can help the show grow. Become a patron today. Patreon.com slash soulstone. Come join us in-game. Our in-game community and clan, both named Shattered Soulstone, are open to anyone who would like to join. You can also join us on Discord for the ultimate team and community-based experience. Find the Discord invitation link on our Twitter and Facebook page, as well as on the Shattered Soulstone website. This show is powered by you, the listener. Send in your contributions, thoughts, questions, and feedback to show at ShatteredSoulstone.com. We love Twitter. Come join and tweet with us. You can find the show Twitter at Shattered Stone, and my Twitter is at Onkamav, which is the name of one of my D&D characters. We would like to extend a huge thank you to Medros of Dawnforge Productions for hosting our Loot Deviant show. You can find more shows from the Dawnforge at www.thedawnforge.com. Thank you for listening. Until next time, from all of us here at the Shattered Soulstone, over 283 episodes for your listening pleasure. Dawn Forge! Woo! This podcast is part of the Dawn Forge Network. Copyright 2020.